This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. You know, loyalty is an army value. But they said loyalty doesn't just mean being loyal to your military unit. Loyalty also means being loyal to your family. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, Episode 75. Today is Memorial Day, and as you reflect out there drinking a beer, eating a hot dog, grabbing a bratwurst, whatever it may be, don't forget why this day exists. And if you haven't listened to last week's Fatherhood Friday, I drop what Memorial Day means to me. Last week, it was brought to my attention that a close friend lost one of his battle buddies from Iraq. And every time I hear about these, it touches my heart. It hits me to the core because he left behind four kids. And so today, I want to share the story of Robbie Lynn Waits. Robbie Lynn was a loving husband and father to his wife, Jessica, and their four children, Grace, Ella, Garrett, and Evelyn. He is survived by his wife and children, mother, and stepfather. If you want to read the full obituary of Robbie Lynn Waits, go ahead, check it out in the show notes. I put a link down there. There is also a GoFundMe link down there in the show notes where you can go ahead and support his wife on this next journey that she has to go on and raise four kids and shepherd them through life without her husband. Because guys, fatherhood matters. And when you are not there to lead your kids, it becomes that much harder. And we need to be able to be there. We need to be present. We need to gift the gift of love, present, and strength. And so please, if you are out there hurting, please reach out. Reach out to me. Find a friend, whoever it may be, whoever you need to find in your life to help pull you out of the pit that you are in. Please reach out. I can't tell you how much it hurts every time I read one of these stories or that I become aware of one of these stories because this podcast is out there for a reason, because there are dads out there hurting, there are dads out there isolating, and Robbie was only one year younger than I am. And it hits me hard because there's a version of my life where I could have been Robbie. If I hadn't found the things that I did in my life at that time, I would not probably be here. I would have fallen in that pit myself. Guys, if you're out there, find someone, find your battle buddy, Because you only need that small little gap between what you think you want to do and what you really want to do. And that gap is where you can really make a change in your life. So please reach out to a friend, whatever you need, be able to help get through what you're going through. Today's story with John is super interesting because he goes into a story about traveling from the state of Washington to the state of Virginia on nothing but two bikes and a wagon, pulling a 15-month-old son 
behind them. They talk about the resilience, the leadership skills, the people that came into their life to make that journey possible. And I don't want to give too many of the details away because this story is going to just hit to the core of what maybe you're leaving off the table, what you're living into, or maybe an entire new path of possibilities that you can take your family into and you just don't know they exist because you've never heard a story. Well, today you're going to hear a story of a man that stepped into courage, and he did it in an amazing way. So without further ado, let's get started with John, and I will talk to you again on the other side. Welcome. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Ben. It's great to be with you. Thanks for hosting me. I believe you are the highest ranking person of the podcast we've ever had. You are a retired major general. Well, don't hold that against me, okay? <laughs> if anything, I'm gonna, I, got, I got a few questions that I think that your, your insight could definitely help because we haven't had anybody from the view of the top looking downward inside the machine that is the military. So I'm excited for this interview. Go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and a little bit about your uh, book that you just re- uh, released. Yeah, I got my commission in 1978, ROTC, University of Scranton, and, and uh, you know, served a... Uh, uh, about four years on active duty, left active duty, went back to my hometown in Pennsylvania, joined the Pennsylvania National Guard. And I'd say for the 40 years of my Army service, um, about 12 of those years were spent on active duty. Um, I'll just give you a, a synopsis of the, the latter part of my career. In 2000, I spent a year in Lithuania, which was pretty exciting since Lithuania had just uh, recently gained or regained their independence from the Soviet Union. So that was an interesting time to be there. Um, I uh, had the honor of commanding 5,000 Marines and soldiers in Ramadi, Iraq, as a brigade commander there in 2005-2006. Commanded a 28th Infantry Division, Pennsylvania National Guard, uh, from uh, 2012 to 2016. And then, last three years of my career were spent as one of the Deputy Commanding Generals of U.S. Army Europe. Uh, and that was from 2016 to 2019. And I retired uh, from the Army in June 2019. That is quite the history there. What about your family? Do you have any kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have uh, two children, uh, Stephen and Timothy. Stephen served in the Marines, and Timothy served in the um, uh, Pennsylvania National Guard. And Stephen was never deployed to combat, but my son Timothy was deployed to Iraq when he was 19 and Afghanistan when he was 24, first as a specialist, then as a staff sergeant. Uh, and now he's a Pennsylvania state policeman. My, my son, Stephen, actually works uh, construction in Pennsylvania. And my wife, Bertie, uh, is from Austria. We got married uh, back in 1980, and we've been married 39 years now. So it's been a, a great life with uh, my wife and kids for sure. Well, this is definitely going to be a very rich interview, and I mean by the depth of what the conversation that we are going to go in through. I got one curiosity. As a father, how do you coach your kids to join the military and pick a branch that is not his father's, but then also where you just have like probably a brotherly spat of like, because the Marine Corps programs us to be better than everybody else. So like I can imagine just some of the internal tension in, the, in your family just from that. So maybe is there any good stories there? Yeah. You know, we, we've always been competitive. Even when my kids were small, I used to like design obstacle courses for them to run and everything. And I'm just proud that both of my kids um, served uh, our nation in uniform. And, and by the way, you know, I will say that there's other ways to serve one's country besides wearing a military uniform. I'm all, I'm all about 
different ways to serve, but I'm certainly proud of both of my kids. And Army Marines, uh, to me, it's all the same. And I'm, I'm just happy they, they chose to, to serve in that way. Is there any advice that you'd want to share out there for a dad who has a child that's thinking to join or is interested? Like, is there any advice looking backwards, like that would really help guide a dad through that decision or help guide his son through that decision or, or daughter? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a true believer in you don't force anybody. I mean, the military is voluntary. So, you know, uh, I, I think you have to uh, uh, at least talk to your children about that being uh, a possible option in life. Uh, and uh, I, I really don't think it's, it's a good idea to force anybody into the military. I think it's a decision individuals have to make for themselves. But uh, th- th- that's advice I would give. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I talked to many people, many young people about joining the military. But again, it's their option. And uh, I think if you raise your kids with a sense of service, they'll either serve in the military or, or, or they will find another way to serve their community and, and their nation. And I think what you're, you're hitting on there is the idea that the world is bigger than yourself and that the idea of giving through service and servitude, servant leadership, helping others in times of crisis, like that need is something that all humans have a desire to, but oftentimes we just don't feed it enough growing up, or even as adults, we don't feed it enough. And as a military dad, this is something we also have a unique view on because we did serve ourselves. We understand what servant leadership is. We know what it means to serve for a higher cause, but that doesn't mean you guide your family to the military. That means that you guide them to something bigger than themselves, like help them identify where they can fit into the world to solve a unique problem and help others help themselves in whatever way, whether it be volunteering after a storm or just helping at a food bank. All of those are places that you begin to start adding depth to your soul as you move into adulthood. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm a big believer, you know, serving in the army, leading by example. And and I do think parents have an obligation to lead their children by example. And I think if, if children see uh, parents have a sense of, of giving back, of uh, of uh, believing there's something greater than themselves, uh, I, I think I think that that's helpful. I also think parents need to uh, help their children see that they learn what their life purpose is. Um, because I th- again, I think if you have a, a a purpose in life, a purpose to serve in whatever way you decide to serve, um, that, that, that's only going to help the children become good citizens. And, and, and that's all we get at. You know, I always said, you know, I, I don't, I don't care what my children would do for a living, as long as it was honest, as long as they were, there was a sense of serving others. Uh, I, I, I would be proud of them as, as long as they would take that type of path. And I, mm-hmm. I think parents could help children choose that path by, by the way they live their own life. Yeah. And there's so much of, this is why I love being a military dad. And when you learn to tap into your experiences, and I'm interested to dive into this next area, because as we travel the world, we have a unique view of the world that less than 7% of the US population has at any given time. And if we can help our kids understand that depth, or even just as if they were riding the waves with us, like as they travel around the world with us, every one of those experiences helps our kids figure out what their God gifting abilities are and how they can breathe more into them. And as a person that's experienced a lot of life, we just have an amazing opportunity to open their world up. So did your kids live with you in Europe? I can imagine when you were there. 
Uh, no, because, uh, you know, I just served there between 2016 and 2019. Oh, yeah, okay. Years. They're, I, they're I both in that. their 30s. Uh, but I, I will say this, with my wife being from Austria, and, and she, she, you know, she grew up in Austria. I, I, I met her at Fort Benning, Georgia in 1980, and we got married uh, when she came over to, to work as a registered nurse so over in the United States. But she had a sense of adventure. She had a sense that, hey, there's a bigger world out there outside of the small town she grew up in, in Austria. I grew up in a small town in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And one thing my wife and I tried to instill in our kids is that, hey, there's a big world out there. You know, go see it uh, and, and uh, respect different cultures, Res- respect people fr- uh, who, that maybe don't think exactly like you think or look exactly like you look, but everybody's got a talent. Everybody has something to offer and, uh, you know, respect uh, other people for what they are and, and, and explore. And, and thank God, both of my kids uh, through the military, through their military service, were able to see other parts of the world and, and certainly, um, I think, have that sense uh, that, hey, there's a lot of different people out there, a lot of diversity, but, but everybody does bring something good to the table. Is there a habit that you can reflect on as a dad that as you did it early in life? Because a lot of my kids are young as well, eight, five, and three. So it's all kind of an R&D lab. You start habits, you start conversations, you start talks. We really have no idea what that thread's going to grow into. Is there a habit that you saw that you did as a father really well that you saw through the time lens of the, them growing up and being adults that you're like, I could really see how that habit paid dividends into their life today? Yes, I, I did uh, really do my best to invite diverse people over to the house. Uh, so my kids could, could just have conversations with, with people like that and, and, and just hear different ideas, different ways of thinking. I also tried to instill in my children, um, the, uh, you know, the benefit of, of staying fit and not only physical fitness, but I, you know, I certainly did try to instill the uh, benefit of physical fitness in them, but but also mental fitness, emotional fitness. You know, uh, tried to get them to to read as much as they could and 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 learn as much as they could outside of school. So those are the things I tried to expose them to. And uh, as I said, you know, I'm proud of both of them. I think it worked out quite well. Was there any challenges they had growing up having their dad be a general? Was there anything that you think that they struggled with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially my son, Timothy, who was in the Pennsylvania National Guard. And of course, I was going up in rank in the Pennsylvania National Guard. And, you know, I think I think when he was serving, I was a colonel at the time. And, you know, it was difficult because, you know, no, no child, I don't think, wants to necessarily uh, have other people think that, you know, they're they're making it through whatever career they're choosing because of their parents. Yeah. And so I think Timothy... He had that to struggle with a little bit. And, and plus, you know, a lot of people knew me. So, uh, you know, kind of gravitated toward, oh, Timothy, you're, you're Colonel Gronsky's son, uh, you know, that, that type of thing. And then my son, Stephen, uh, probably not so much because he joined the Marines. He was on active duty. So uh, I remember when I went down to see his graduation at Paris Island, though, you know, we had, a, we had to let them know that I think at that time I was also a colonel, that, you know, a, a colonel in the Army was coming to the graduation. and. You know, that kind of gets everybody kind of all riled up to a degree. So, yeah, they they both had that that uh, cross to bear in their lives, I guess. Yeah. 
That's awesome. What are the what are your kids doing now t- today? Yeah, Timothy is a Pennsylvania state policeman. Uh, he's the one who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And my son Stephen uh, works construction, and uh, he loves it. He loves working with his hands. Uh, he does a, a, a lot of uh, side jobs too, a lot of work around the house. So you know, he 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 likes uh, to have that technical skill. And um, I said, my son Timothy is, is still serving, as I said, as a state policeman, and uh, he. Um, works in northeastern Pennsylvania area and uh he's kept pretty busy there to be quite honest about it. So let's time travel back. What was like on what was on your heart back in the 60s when you went on a really long bike ride with your wife? Take us back to that moment of like where this idea like first popped into your head, where you started to give it oxygen, like this idea could actually happen. What was your life like and how did you come to the conclusion this was what you needed to help move through whatever you were feeling? Okay, well, that was in 1980. 1980, sorry, 20 uh, years too early. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. trying to keep notes with the timeline. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, um, I, um, like I said, I, I joined the Army in 78. It was 1982. I decided to leave the Army up at Fort Lewis, Washington. Uh, Barry and I were both working up in Tacoma, Washington for about six months, and then I decided uh, that we were going to move back to northeastern Pennsylvania. We did happen to have a one-year-old baby at the time, Stephen, uh, who we already talked about. And so um, I remember, uh, you know, when I was about 20 years old, hearing people bicycle across the United States, you know, it just kind of became a dream of mine. And so since we were living in Washington State, moving back to Pennsylvania, I suggested to my wife that, hey, we fulfill my dream and we bicycle across the United States. And being from Austria, we had only been married a little less than three years at the time. She probably didn't know any better. So she said yes, and she agreed to that. So um, I, I bought a bicycle trailer uh, that I was going to pull Stephen uh, across the country in, which, which I did. And it was uh, a trip we started in May of 1983. We arrived in Pennsylvania in August 1983. And... Uh, it was all self-contained, which meant, you know, we had our bicycle packs. We loaded our gear in our packs. We had a two-man backpacking tent, two sleeping bags, a little one-burner stove that we would cook our breakfast and our, our dinner on. And uh, both around 27, 28 years old at the time, and we set off across the United States, and it was just a fantastic adventure. I I uh, I, I think you're... you're you're aware that I, I I wrote a book last summer about the trip. It's called The Ride of Our Lives, Lessons on Life, Leadership, and Love. And the funny thing is, you know, last summer I retired from, from the Army after 40 years. And the first book I write isn't about uh, the Army, isn't about my combat experience in Iraq. It's about this family adventure that we had back in 1983. And I I had a I get, I got an email from a a person I know about two days ago and they said they bought the book and they commented on the fact that hey it's unusual that the first book you wrote after serving forty years in the army was about this bike trip and they said you know your priorities must be in order which meant you know family is one of my big priorities and uh, I thought to myself you know he's right I mean to me family is the most important thing and. And doing that trip with my wife, and at that time, our 15-month-old son, Stephen, was very rewarding because uh, spending three months on the road together, 
uh, and many uh, challenging, physically challenging uh, circumstances, as you could imagine, biking across the country, uh, Cascade Mountains, Rocky Mountains, Ozark Mountains, Appalachian Mountains, the heat uh, in Southern Colorado. I mean, all of that um, was a, uh, an, an adventure where you had to display resiliency. You had to show leadership. Both of us did, Bertie and I both and had a had a set goals had to accomplish those goals so it was just a, a, a great experience that Barry and I will never forget unfortunately my son being 15 months old never remembered it uh, but now he could remember it through the book and uh, yeah we learned a lot of lessons on that trip and I uh, placed some of those lessons in, in the book so let me rewind a little bit further you hit on something there that you had your priority straight but you were only 27 right? Yes. So you were 27 and most 27 year olds are excited do-gooders trying to like make their name in the world. Most 27 year olds are still trying to figure out their priorities. So where did your, like the coding for having your priorities in order to that family, where did that instinct come from? Uh, that probably from my own family. Uh, I grew up in a, in a pretty close family. I was the youngest of seven children. Uh, my mother did did die three days after I was born. So it was up to my father to raise seven kids. Uh, and and you were the, so I, you were the last one or your father remarried? Yeah. No, no, no. My father never remarried. So I was the last one. I was the youngest of seven. And uh, my two sisters were like surrogate mothers because they were about, you know, I think about 10 years older than I am, um, maybe 10, 12 years older. So they were like surrogate mothers to me as I was growing up. Uh, my father's sister was like a surrogate mother. So although I grew up without a mother, I had a lot of love around me. My, my father absolutely uh, demonstrated love to me, and he was a hard worker. And uh, my brothers and sisters, you know, like I said, we're a tight family. So I think I just had that sense that family is important. And, um, and, and that's probably why I had that attitude when I was 27. There, that was like, that's a beautiful story because it paints what I talk about so much on the podcast that family is our legacy. And we were talking about it before we hit record because while you went through something devastating and some people may never recover from losing their mom, the strength of your family is what got you through. Like the resilience, the coming together, like life isn't happening to me. Like I'm not just like poor me, my, my mom died. Like you was like, we're going to take this and we're going to become stronger as a cohesive unit. And then you started a family and then also had that same instinct. And that's the generational change that I talk about that as you create amazing adults that understand how to bring their love and compassion to the world, you start to create a ripple in the world that keeps putting better and better adults that your skills, your, the way you raised your kids was from your father and your family. And now your sons will take those skills and incorporate into their family like that's a lot longer than a typical four-year service. And that's where people get messed up that what you learn in the military is just a bunch of seeds and it's just a short period of your life, but your family is the overarching theme and it can go on for centuries at a time if you put the energy and if you put the time in, put the priorities in. So I commend your dad for what he went through and I commend what your family was able to grow through because often that's kind of even a PTSD moment for a veteran out there it's a similar switch that like, it's a very tragic event, but your family can actually help you heal and the strength of your family can actually get you to a better place. And that resilience that you do for growing through that 
can really make you a stronger and better person on the other side, even though whatever happened was extremely tragic, like losing your mom three days after you were born. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And and I, I really like what you say about family being one's legacy. And I think that's exactly true. Like even me, 40 years in the army, but I'm, <laughs> I still left the army. So at some point in time, you are going to leave military service or if you're in civilian sector, whatever that job might be, but your family is going to be there. So you do have to um, take the time to pay attention to your family. I had um, someone in the military, I forget who it was exactly, but uh, I believe it must have been one of my commanders or somebody who was a higher rank than me, but I remember them. I remember what they said, although I don't remember who said it. And they said, uh, you know, loyalty is an army value. But they said loyalty doesn't just mean being loyal to your military unit. Loyalty also means being loyal to your family. And when I heard that, I thought, man, that 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 is wise. And I, I since I heard that uh, earlier in my career, I always tried to have that conversation with soldiers. I would say that a lot, that, hey, loyalty means loyalty to your family, too. You've got to be loyal to your family. And and um, I, I think no matter who you are out there, whatever stage in life you're in, if you could keep that in mind, uh, that, that that's something that is going to go uh, far in your, in your life. Because when you're done with whatever career you have, the family's still going to be there. And if you haven't paid attention to them, if you haven't given them uh, the, the uh, attention that, that they deserve, they may not be there for you at, at the end. So I think that's extremely important to put, put the energy into your family uh, as well as the energy you put into whatever career you, you've chosen. And I've, I didn't, it's crazy that we don't think about this, but because I didn't think about it until a couple months ago, that your commitment to your wife is the one commitment that goes to the grave. And very few choices you make in life actually reflect that priority. That every other, there is no single commitment as strong as the one you've said, I'll be here till the end. Everything you promise, everything you say you're going to deliver, everything is sub to the one commitment forever. So every time you make one more important than the other, you slowly devalue that commitment and what it means to you. And that's when you get that out of whack. That's when things can go crazy. Yeah, you know, and I I am very proud of the fact that my wife and I have been married for 39 years. And um, you know, when you look back on that bike trip we took back in 1983, three months uh, in in pretty tough conditions on, on that trip with our with our baby, uh, a lot of people said, "Hey, you know, you go through something like that, you're either you're either going to get divorced when the trip is done, or you're going to stay together." And um, thank God we've stayed together. But I will say this, you know. Uh, the 39 years hasn't been easy. You know, there's been some tough parts in our marriage where we had to really see uh, ourselves through tough situations together and, and just know that life isn't all, you know, a, a bed of roses. That, and I think that's something people have to take to heart that, you know, no matter what you choose, you know, being, you know, a, a partnership as a marriage or or some type of career, there is going to be challenges. And, and that's what resiliency is all about. You know, it's, it's, it's about being able to overcome adversity, being able to overcome setbacks. And, you know, I know we're talking right now during the coronavirus era here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to, you know, tackle these setbacks head on 
and and just uh, have an offensive mindset, uh, have a positive spirit, and believe you're going to get through it, and then help others get through. Uh, so I, I think just just having having the a reality check that hey, not things aren't meant to be easy all the time. Uh, yeah, that's you know, the illusion are, of life that, and especially the American dream, like. The fact we call it the American dream, the fact that that you can just you eventually work so hard that you can have a life in Florida in an in a, in a island resort or wherever you want to park your butt for the rest of your life. Life, you're always going to have something to struggle with. That was an illusion that I remember having at like 31 because I was uh, hanging out with dads in a group that were older than me at 40. And I was like, God, these guys are at 40. They're still struggling with the same crap that I got at 31. I was like what hope is there? I was hoping this, these struggles would end. And then someone gave me a reality check right to the face and said like, dude, if the, without the struggles, there's no purpose in living. And I was like, whoa, that was powerful because I was trying to create a life without the struggle, but without the struggle, we aren't growing. And if we aren't growing, then we're dying. Yeah. You know, and that's the other thing, you know, for, for veterans out there, I mean, we've all placed ourselves by joining the military into situations that have taken us out of our company. Zone, you know, going, going through you know basic training or or whatever level of training. You know, I, you you in the Marines. I went I went to Ranger School. I mean, you you place yourselves into these situations that are tough, and by doing that, you help develop resiliency. And for those out there who didn't serve in the military, I believe that everyone has to find some type of challenge that that you place yourself into. So you could overcome that challenge. And by doing those type of things, you actually build some scar tissue and you build up resiliency because, you know, we talk about resiliency a lot uh, and we see that some people just aren't that resilient. Uh, you, you have to work at being resilient. It doesn't ha- happen by itself. And by placing yourself in the tough situations and, and tackling those situations and, and gaining some confidence from being able to, to achieve I, I think really helps uh, as, as you as you work yourself through your way through life. And that's there's, there's a good example that I always like to re- repeat from scar tissue and broken bones. Like when you break a bone, your bone will hear two times stronger than it was before. And the scar tissue, while you may have been cut and you may have bled, the tissue around that scar will heal stronger. And we don't naturally have that mindset as human beings, but it's that mindset that gets you to be stronger. And there's a reason why the, some of the richest people in this world are the most resilient and they came from the bottom. Because when you fight from the bottom up, everything is just part of life and you just keep working and you keep pushing. And that is what resilience allows you to keep going because you're, you've been to the bottom and you're no longer, you're not, you're, I'm not going back. Like oftentimes we're born into a, a, an easy life or an easier life. And without that pressure, you don't force yourself to grow growing up as much, even growing up at a farm. So I grew up on a farm. I knew what work was, but it wasn't like there was a lot of pressure. It was just a pressure of helping my dad wherever he needed in the school and stuff. But I mean, I wouldn't say that it was a hard farm life. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you know, Ben, something you said made me think that, uh, you know, for anybody who's listening, who is struggling out there, um, you know, it, it is okay to ask for help when you need help. You know, some, some people think, it's a sign of weakness if you if you ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness. Everybody needs help. Hey, you know, again, the 39 years of marriage I have, the 40 years in the military and the army, not everything was easy. And there were many times I had to reach out to people and ask for help. 
and 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 that nothing wrong with that. But then at the same token, uh, you should be willing to try to help other people when you could too, because when you help other people, that makes you stronger. Uh, it gives you a little bit of confidence, uh, and it's and it's karma. You know, mm-hmm. the more good you do for other people, the more good is going to come back to you. So, uh, I mean, this whole uh, notion of of asking for help and yet being willing to help others, I think, is very powerful. I always like to uh, frame it as that you always need one hand up as a game of a barrel of monkeys, where you have one hand up in the monkey game and one hand down, because yeah. you always want to reach up and and have someone else help you up go higher. And then you always want to have one hand down because whatever stage of the mountain you're climbing, there's people that have fallen off the mountain or back in the pit. And there's people that you need to lift back out. But then there's people right above you that can help you climb to that next level. And it's crazy. Like the military, like you would think the military programs us that wars are won by individuals. But wars are not. Like the entire idea of military is a cohesive military unit fighting with one common objective with using each other, relying on each other, brothers on their side. But when it comes to matters on the inside, that whole philosophy just crumbles. Like we no longer have that. We need other people. And the way that I always like to talk about it is for millennia, we lived life in tribes. We hunted, we grew, we had people above us, we had people below us. We never had to carry one of life's problems by ourselves. We always had people to share the load with. And we were never designed as human beings to do it by ourselves. And there's a good Marine Corps joke that I uh, say your, your son will enjoy it. That in the Marine Corps, you, if, if you couldn't lift something, that just meant you, it didn't mean you need a forklift. That just means you didn't have enough Marines because our back was the first thing that usually got abused. And I kind of equate that to life. Like if you can't lift something, you just need more Marines or you need more people to help you lift it. And you've got to be able to be open. And this, the crazy part is when you become open, it's almost like a magnet that people come closer. They don't actually get pushed away. They get pushed away when you close off, but they come closer when you reveal yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, vulnerability is a big thing. Uh, and you know, again, just if you don't mind me using the lesson of the bike trip, I mean, when you, when you think of the fact that my wife, Bertie and I just bicycled away from our apartment in Tacoma, Washington, knowing we had another 4,000 miles to go on these bicycles. I mean, that that's vulnerable. You know, I mean, we were the ultimate thin-skinned vehicle. You're vulnerable you know? to the conditions and the environment, too. A- a- absolutely. And and I think leaders um, have to make themselves vulnerable. You know, just, just because you're leading an organization doesn't mean that you're the smartest guy in the room and you know everything and you're, you know, all wise. I mean, any leader needs help. Any person needs help. So, you know, make yourself vulnerable by, by reaching out to people and, and letting people know that, hey, I need a little bit of assistance. And then the other thing, uh, speaking of success, is in order to be successful, you have to have the courage to make yourself vulnerable. Like Ben, you doing this podcast, you know, you're putting yourself out there. I put myself out there multiple times that I, I'm an open crier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like you're, you're putting yourself out there. You're getting your message out there. You're, you're uh, uh, allowing yourself to be open to criticism mm-hmm. and you have to be courageous enough to do that as, as a leader or anybody who's looking to be successful. You got to be willing to take that first step and then take those following steps. And, and Hey, not everybody's going to like what you do. Some people are going to criticize you, but that's what being vulnerable is, is all about. And you don't become successful unless you're willing to 
place yourself in a vulnerable position. And you can't receive feedback unless you're vulnerable because if you're not vulnerable, you attack feedback or you just ignore it and your ego says, I don't need to listen to that. But when you get used to being vulnerable, you get used to that feedback is a gift. When people bring it to you, you listen to it, you take what you want about it. And if it's not true, then you let it go. It's, it's, it's that like, cause off sometimes feedback is more about them than it is about you. And it's them hurting and them trying to pull you down. But at the same time, vulnerability is beautiful there. I want to go back to your bike trip for a second. Sure. So the 27 year old John that went on that bike trip and the 27 year old John that finished that bike trip, what was something that you weren't expecting to find in yourself? Cause I'm sure you had like kind of a spiritual like objective in your head of like, these are the things I want to grow through. What's something you weren't expecting to find that came out on the other side of that trip? Hmm, that, that, that is a good question. I never really thought much about that. I, I, I guess um, when I look back on it, uh, just, just the fact that we were able to face the challenges we did with a young baby with, with us, uh, and, uh, and not give, you know, I wasn't planning on giving up and neither was my wife, but, but the fact that we didn't give up, uh, was a big thing. I, I, I think the, uh, the courage to make decisions that we had to make along the way, you know, uh, there were many times when we had to decide, Hey, you know, do we, do we go left or do, do we go right? You know, those, those type of decisions and, and have, having the courage to make those decisions, uh, I guess is something that as I look back on it, I, I was happy that I had had that experience. That's and, good you mentioned. Uh, Go ahead. No, I was, and, and, and the people we met along the way, there were so many people that showed up at exactly the right time to help us through difficult challenges on that bike trip. And uh, I really gained a sense of divine intervention on that trip, uh, where I believe a higher power put people in our life at different points of time along that that bike trip that really helped us immeasurably and uh uh, and and again just the whole sense of thankfulness thankfulness that we were able to make the trip safely uh and and we came out of it very healthy uh so just just those feelings are, are i guess feelings that i'd i'd like to share i don't know if it's anything i didn't expect uh but it's it was really just just those type of feelings that I think helped me grow and helped my wife Barry grow. I don't know if you picked up on these two, but considering the conversation right prior to me asking this question and considering where we are now with what you just shared, if I were to take away two things that I'm learning from you going through this journey is at 27, you learned that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is taking action despite the fear. Like you did something and you probably didn't realize how scary it was, but you still did it and you kept doing it. And the beautiful part of point number two is you learned how to ask for help 4,000 times probably. Every mile, there's probably something you had to ask for help. And if you can think about a 27-year-old learning the power of asking for help, like that's like a superpower when you get older. Because, I mean, most people in their 20s think they have it all together and they, we don't ask for help. So the idea that you had this muscle of, of divine intervention in your heart that like people are genuinely good and they genuinely want to help me like that's life changing. And if you think of that resilient, that feeling carrying through the military, I can't help but even think about what the people in your life, the 40 years later have been affected by a person that was always able and eager to ask for help. Like that's very powerful. 
Yeah, and and you know, Ben, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Is that you you have to be willing to put yourself in 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 situations where it's it's going to allow you to grow. You know, I mean, deliberately taking yourself out of your comfort zone. And I can't imagine, um, you know, a couple of things that happened to me in my life that took me out of my comfort zone. That bike trip was certainly one of them. You know, going to ranger school. You know, uh, you know, being in combat, having having to command soldiers and, and Marines in combat. So, I mean, there were some defining moments of my life. Uh, and, you know, going to combat, I didn't have a choice. I I wanted to because it's just something we were trained to do when uh, it was mm-hmm. an honor. Uh, but, you know, going to ranger school was, was definitely um, a, a voluntary thing to do. The bike trip was a voluntary thing to do. And that's why the message I'd like to get out to people is find find things that you could do to place yourself in uncomfortable situations so you could grow from them. I mean, life's going to throw a number of uncomfortable situations our way, whether we want them or not. Obviously, this coronavirus is one of them. But in order to build up, as you mentioned, that scar tissue, in order to make it through difficult situations, like like the one we're facing now with this this, uh, COVID-19, you've got to work to build yourself up up to be able to make it through situations like that and not just survive situations, but to thrive in situations. That's, that's the key mm-hmm. uh, is, is to be able to face difficult situations and actually thrive rather than survive. Let's take that journey and pivot to it a little bit. I'm, I'm frustrated that I didn't ask you earlier why we were talking about your sons. When you were raising your sons, did you go on any type of spiritual journey as far as you, what you did with your wife when you were raising them to be strong men and, uh, know who they are? I, I would say that we spent a lot of time in the outdoors, like even up in Tacoma, Washington, uh, before we made the bike trip, um, I was actually, uh, working at, at Mount Rainier, uh, national park for a while. And I would be cross country skiing up there with my wife and I would have Steven on my back while I was cross country skiing. So from a very early age, Steven was exposed to extreme conditions in, in the outdoors. And then we moved back to northeastern Pennsylvania I mean the the thing my wife and I did with our two young children we we camped a lot you know we Mm -hmm. fished Um, we we tried to expose them to um, uncomfortable uh, conditions out out, out there in, in, in the outdoors so I would say just by getting out there hiking biking you know those type of outdoor activities with the kids uh, I, I think that's spiritual. You know, I think when you're out yep. there in the outdoors and in the woods, uh, you have nature around you. There's not a lot of people out there with you. I, I, I think there's a spiritual component. To that. Are you in the, like the Pocono area? Well, uh, uh, we lived in, um, uh, near Scranton in a small, small town near Scranton, which was near to Poconos. So yeah. Uh, but there's, a you know, uh, there's just a lot of, uh, woods and outdoor areas mm-hmm. besides the Poconos where, where we live in northeastern Pennsylvania. Now I, I live down in south central Pennsylvania. There's still now Barry and I were, were just out for a run this morning and yesterday we went for a nice bike ride. So even in our sixties now, my wife Berti and I still get out every day doing something physical in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And so much of the outdoors reminds us that we're still living because we're surrounded by living things that you can't help but like your vibration, like of your energy inside, like starts getting higher. And it's, 
I mean, I always liked how nothing in nature has corners, but everything that man makes has a corner. And there's huh. something about yeah. that, that the uh, being inside is not where human beings energy has been designed for millennia to be. It's been designed to be out where there isn't a corner. Everything is open. That is so important to kind of keep your living continuing as you go into a retirement instead of saying like, okay, now I can sit here and watch the history channel and catch up on all of the history that I've missed while I was a workaholic. Like you need to be out there continuing to live. Like that's, that's living continuing right up until the end. Do your sons have family yet? Yeah. Yeah. Both of uh, my uh, uh, sons have, have one child each. So I have, you know, Barry and I have two grandchildren and, uh, and, and they are raising their kids to love the outdoors, which is, is so nice to see mm-hmm. that, you know, generational kind of, family legacy right there. Yeah. Yeah. Again, creating that legacy, creating that tradition. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm so happy to see that. And it, it makes for, I think a very healthy and, 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 and loving family when you're, when you're doing something outside together, it, it really creates a bond that you just don't get if you're sitting in the house watching TV. Yeah. And I don't know if you've reflected on this, but I've thought about it for a couple other guests that I've had on that when, after you're, if you pass away, your kids and your sons will have a blueprint of how to connect with their father because yeah. you gifted them those memories, anchor memories of who they are, that whenever they want to like go where, figure out what would, what would dad say right now? You've given them that blueprint to keep your memory living. And that is so powerful. Like that's, a veteran is only forgotten when people keep forgetting or when no one longer mentions their name. And if you can create that legacy of the outdoors and as a family, they talk about how grandpa used to take us outdoors. Like no one will ever forget your name because it'll be the memory that they go back to, to kind of remember this is what our family is. It's outdoors. It's being together. It's connected. It's losing your mom when you're three, when you're three days old and knowing that at the end of the day, all you got is family that's what they're going to remember you for. That's, that's very powerful. And uh, I commend it. And I, I, it's almost exciting thinking about the, the next seasons of your life because you're getting to write a whole nother book, not like in the sense of a physical book, but a whole nother sense of how you really refine and continuing to live out this legacy. Like I could easily see now that you're on the other side of the military, you kind of just go on a, like a, a, a week trek once a year, just as uh, sons and dad to just kind of reconnect, figure out what's going on in life and just reconnect with that core family. And as their kids get older, it becomes something you do on an annual basis. Like it's, it's really exciting to, to think about what you're getting ready to, to move into as your next season. Yeah. And then maybe bring the grandkids into that thing too. And, uh, and the other thing we love to do, you know, talking about outdoors, you know, we, we love to spend time around the fire pit. And, you know, when you're out there around the fire pit, you know, just kind of watching the fire, you know, conversations go in all kinds of different directions. It's, it's, it's again, it, it creates that bond. And, and you know what they call, you know, when you're around the fire pit watching the fire, they call that ranger TV. <laughs> I hadn't heard that before. That's good, though. Yeah. Has, have your sons ever wanted to go on a trip when they were like as teenagers and were trying to rebel or trying to live like the dad did? Did they ever come to you like, dad, I'm going to do what you did. I'm going to go on a crazy idea and take this idea and try to make it happen. Uh, uh, no, you know, they, they both went in the military right after high school. So I guess that was their way to get away. But that was their uh, way. My, my, my wife and I, though, seriously, my, my, 
one grandson is, is 14 years old and Barry and I seriously, uh, when he graduates from high school, we're going to pay his way over to Europe and maybe get him a Euro rail pass or something and just let him travel around Europe for three months. Uh, I, I just think that would be a great adventure for him. I guess we're looking back on it. That's something I wish I, I would have done if I, if I had known that was an option, you know, back then yeah. when I was that age. But, uh, I, I just think getting out there and traveling and uh, is such an important thing to do. Uh, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, um, uh, I went down to Haiti, not not in the military, but with the YMCA just to, you know, build uh, uh, a kitchen for some uh, Haitians down there and, and, and uh, you know, rebuild a school. And doing things like that is just, again, you're giving back, you're doing something a little bit different. Uh, takes you out of your comfort zone. You experience a different culture. There's so much goodness in that. Yeah. And there's a couple lessons that I've learned. So being stationed in Okinawa, I never saw Iraq or Afghanistan. Did all my time over there. But that gave me kind of like the same perspective that you have. Like you need that depth. You need to be like I saw I was in the Philippines and there was an avalanche or a mudslide at the same time we were there for an operation. So we kind of switched what we're doing from training to real life search and recovery that changes you forever. Like when you see real poverty, like when you see kids urinating in the street, like that adds a view of like nothing compares or even I've been to the DMZ and stared down the North Koreans in those little blue houses. Like every time North Korea goes a little bit crazy on the news, like I feel a little bit deeper because I've been there. I feel the realism of what that whole place is like. And we don't spend enough time as human beings or even adults or even Americans because there's a statistics uh, out there that says, 20% 20% of Americans have a passport and only 10% of Americans use it. But Americans are supposed to have a worldly view and we're supposed to be the ones to look at with all the answers. But when our perspective of the world is almost nothing, like that's something that I went to, I took a two week vacation to Australia on the way out of the Marine Corps. And I quickly learned there were all these like UK people and British and bro, uh, British and UK are the same people, but uh, Europe. And they were all like backpacking. And I was like, what the hell is this backpacking? Like, they would be with their girlfriend. They'd be in their twenties. They would just be living it. And I'm like, what book was this in that? I like, I didn't, I missed this class that like you should be out there backpacking and exploring life. And it really wasn't till I, uh, where I used to work, I, I no longer work there, but the company was based out of Prague and I would, I've been there eight times and very quickly they taught me an important lesson that I want to try to teach my kids is that most Czechs, they spend all of their twenties finding the person they love learning to live life with that person, exploring it on all boundaries. Like they don't settle down. They don't get a lot of debt. They live very freely. They travel, they see the world. And almost universally when they turn 30, they start having kids. And that's Uh. so backwards from here. Like, so I'm true. I'm on the same boat as you, John. I want my kids to explore the world because, and I don't want to wait for them to turn 18. Like I want to take my kids on international trips when they're younger so that because the more exposure, even at the younger age, like this, the more compute like input in their data for as they figure out, because the one thing Americans get wrong is we think, and I think maybe this Corona will help open their eyes. Like you can't figure out what you want to do in life by going to school for 12 years. That's there's nothing in school that really dives deep into who you are and how you can fit into the world and help solve some of the big problems that the world has. But if you get outside of your life by traveling and seeing other people's lives, that's really how you can figure out how you fit in, but you got to get outside of it to figure out how you can fit into it. Yeah. Yeah. Ben and I, 
I'm with you. You got you got to do when the uh, children are young. Like uh, three years ago, when my grandson was 11, we brought him over to to Europe for two months, and you know he had an an, an opportunity to experience Germany, experience Austria. So he saw that there were different cultures out there, yeah. and that uh, you know every all you know throughout the world, all the stores aren't open 24 seven and and on Sunday, you know, and and of course. I, I guess we're experiencing that a little bit uh, with this coronavirus, which I think is actually a good thing. Um, I'm a big believer that that most retail stores should be closed on Sunday. I do mm-hmm. think Sunday should be a special day. Um, and and again, yeah, not, it's not just getting re- into life is about like religion. the speed of life. It's not some. I don't even say it's religious. It's just that we just had this idea that we can just keep moving faster and faster. And that's yeah. how we're going to win the race. But like life isn't a race. It's about like being in the moment. And I think that's what I love about Corona is the entire world had to get a reality check that we were moving too fast and we weren't prioritizing family and that we needed to be in our kids' lives. And our kids had real struggles that maybe we weren't even like we were just outsourcing a huge portion of their life to school systems and not being accountable and owning that part of their life like that. That's huge. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lesson we could take away from this when we do get back to normal, whenever that's going to be, uh, might be a year and a half from now or whenever they have the vaccine. But, you know, we we could kind of put a stake in the ground and say, you know what, on Sunday, we're not going to do any shopping. We're going to make it a family day. You know, so whether the stores are open or not, you know, as a parent, uh, as a family unit, you could still do family things together you know, one day a week where you just dedicate it to your family. And if there's a spiritual component to it, a formal religious component to it that day, that's, that's fine too, but whatever the case. Uh, but I do think families have to take uh, at least one day a week once we get back to normal and, and just kind of focus on the family. I think that would be a great message to send to the kids. And when you took your, your kid to, or your grandson to Europe, like there's a part of that, that you just like that there's life doesn't exist in a box. And I recently, maybe a couple of years ago, I was buying flowers for my wife at a local florist. And she had told me that she was like 63. And for 63 years, she hadn't left the three counties of our state. She had lived wow. in the same three counties yeah. the entire life. And her sister wow. had had a condo in Florida for since like the seventies and had always been inviting her down. And she kind of had one of those moments where she grew up in life and she realized like, I need to slow down and not work so much. And she took her, her sister up on this offer like two years ago. And she went down there and she's just like, man, I should have did this years ago. And she let her in life pass by living in three counties. You, that, that's not how you add richness to your life. Not monetarily, but like the richness of experiences, understanding and the best way to, to, to build bridges is to seek to understand, which is something we don't do as a society well, and why the military also is good because we have a diverse group of people that we had to learn to work with. Yeah, but you know, Ben, um, I, I think anybody listening to this, if they haven't been the type to have gotten out there and went out of their comfort zone and explored, it's never too late to do that. Like you said, this lady mm-hmm. in her 60s who finally went down to Florida. You know what? Um, if, if, if you if you didn't experience these things when you were younger, you could still go out and experience these things. So, uh, yeah. you know, just anybody at, at any age, 
could still open their eyes, open their heart, open their mind to exploring different things. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you haven't done it when you're young, do it now. And that's an important part. There was, uh, I had Ryan Mickler on the podcast a few episodes back and I asked him what's a sticky note that you would send back to yourself right after getting out of the military. And he's told himself that he would have taken more risks. And he also struggled with the question because he doesn't like regretting or changing how his outcome because everything that's happened has got him to where he's at. But the moment someone tells you that you need to do something or that you have an awareness that you weren't doing something, that's not your sign that like, oh man, I should, I beat myself up for a week. That's your sign like today's a day that just never, I could ever get caught by that again. And so like, if this is the first time you're listening to it and you haven't really exposed yourself to different environments, let this be the day that you start moving somewhere new direction. Don't beat yourself up that you've missed 30 years of your life. Or even if, I'll reframe it. If you're, this is your first episode of the Military Veteran Dad and you're realizing maybe that you are on autopilot for most of your kids' lives and your kids are 16 and 17, don't beat yourself up that you've missed. Take this as the last day that you're not going to be part of their life. And it's never too late to come back to your kid's life because they've been waiting forever. And whether it's 24 years old, 30 years old, if their dad comes back into their life, you, I know I, I can guarantee that that will have an impact on their heart and soul because they've been holding on to it for so long that it'll be an anchor memory for yourself and their kids. So there's never too late to come back home. And today's the day. If this is the first time you're hearing this, your life is passing by you. You've got to be there. You've got to be connected because those memories, you only get one chance to be a dad. And the moment you realize you're not holding up to the bargain, you got to wake up and step into it. Now, I think that's a great message to put out to people. It's, it's never too late to change your direction that you're moving in. If you know, you can move in a different direction. If you haven't developed a, a, the relationship with your family that, that you think you should have years ago, start today. Never too late. I totally agree with that, Ben. And I, I've heard, I don't know the story personally, but it was repeated to me that uh, some, there's a, there was a general that didn't first learn about his kid's life until his son joined the military at 18 years old because he was so entrenched. So there's another version, a different universe out there where you, being a major general, weren't connected with your family. And on the other side of 40 years, you're like, whoa, my kids grew up, they got grandkids, and I just missed 40 years. Like, if that's you listening to that, well, this is the first day that you try to make up for that because you've got to pay it back with interest and that debt is due. And the moment you realize you have it, you got to go for it. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of gets back again to an earlier point of you shouldn't pressure your kids to take a certain path. Everybody is different. Mm -hmm. um, every, everybody has to find their own way in life. And I think you should just encourage your children to find a path that makes them most happy. As long as it's an honest path, it's a path that helps others. Uh, you know, be, be proud of your kids no matter what path in life they choose. They don't have to follow in your footsteps is what I'm trying to say. And a the theme of what we've been talking about is exposing them to opportunity. Because as long as you're exposing them to opportunity and choice, they will figure it out. But if you're just leaving it to school to figure it out, you're going to have a kid that rubber bands into your basement after they graduate college, if college still exists after all of this. Because it's those kids that still haven't figured it out at 24 and they come back to your basement. So your insurance policy to prevent the rubber band back to your basement is to expose them to as many opportunities and lifestyles and, op and just ways of living as possible. And, and you will naturally, as a human being, figure out, even this podcast, me as a dad, I've grown into this purpose and passion. And that was just me going through the process, getting exposed to other dads living life legendary and made me 
want to wake up to it. Well, John, I want to wrap up this interview. Before we do, I want you to leave a parting piece of wisdom that kind of wraps up maybe one message that you want a dad to take away. If they, they can take away one thing, what's that strong message that you want people to, to listen and, and take into their life after listening to this episode? Yeah, I think for the dads out there listening, what I would encourage dads to, to talk to your kids about is, is uh, talk to them about doing things that are going to give them more options in life. You know, because one thing I found is, is my, my life has taken so many divergent paths, you know, uh, through the course of my life that you never know what opportunities life is going to bring to you. So encourage your kids to keep their options open. How do you keep your options open? Hey, by studying in school, by uh, getting involved in extra, extracurricular activities, by seeking out ways to um, uh, volunteer in your community by seeking out ways, even as a young person, to travel and get exposed to different people and different ideas. So I would just say to the dads, encourage your kids to keep their options open and don't try to force them down a path. Uh, Young people will naturally gravitate to what they believe their purpose is in life and then support them. Whatever they decide to do, support them. And bottom line is love them. You know. even if you have a child who is struggling with uh, various issues, you know, uh, drugs, alcohol, other things that might be screwing up their life, show them love. And, and I think if you show your kids love, uh, that's the best thing you do as a parent. I love that. I've always liked the tagline that says that to remind your kids that nothing you can say or do will make, you lo- I'll make me love you less than I do right now because often that's not how our default programming, but reminding them that how you love them is unconditional and that there's always a safe place to bring them whatever's on their heart that can be so powerful. And your message today has, I am positive there's a dad out there listening that we brought home because it was very impactful. I'm pretty sure it was like an armor piercing round and whatever armor dad's out there that we're holding up to try to keep it all together. I think we went right through and hopefully ignited something inside dad and helped bring it out today. So John, if we're, I would imagine Amazon is the best place to, to catch your book if they want a copy of it. Yeah. The ride of our lives, lessons on life, leadership and love amazon.com. That's the best place to catch the book. All right. And I'll put a link of that in the show notes for anybody that can check it out. And I'll definitely going to be adding it to my reading list because it definitely sounds a, a journey of the heart and journey of a heart is something I, I love going on because I'm a very heart centered guy and anything that can help me anchor in my head or my heart instead of my head, that is something that I love bringing into my life. Well, John, thank you for being on the show today, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Ben. Can you believe that episode? That episode hit me right into the core of who I am, right into the core of where I want to go with my family and how I want to lead them. There were so many great nuggets in that episode. Some of the things that I took away was talking to your kids about military service, taking a cross-country bike trip, Leadership lessons learned on that trip about how the people that come into your life kind of like are the perfectly timed people in your life. The struggle of life doesn't really end. That was something that 
I have always struggled with and realizing that was just something that is the next journey was super impactful for me. Finding your challenge, finding that one thing to really put your effort into, to hone your skills in life, that really was important for me because that podcast, this podcast is that thing for me. My challenge for growth and how I overcome the things in my life has been part of this podcast journey for me. Leading with vulnerability. I talk about that so much on the podcast that you just can never lead with enough vulnerability because when you lead with vulnerability, there's so much magnetic force that comes towards you that is leaving so much on the table when you hold some of the best gold of your story and your life in. And honoring the people who came into your life, that was something else. Like just every person has a reason and that people are genuinely good, but we don't often lead with that idea. We often think everybody is out to get us, but they are not. People are genuinely good and they genuinely want to help people. How to create a rich life, not in the context of money, but in the context of being a person has rich relationships that understands how to help people move their lives forward so that you can have your life move forward as well. And if you haven't checked out freedadcourse.com, go ahead and check it out because I talk about friendships on the podcast and how friendships have changed my life. And at freedadcourse.com, there is an awesome five-lesson audio course that I put together, 10-minute episodes each, super easy to listen to on a walk or a drive. And those five lessons are how I started to change my life and really step into my role as being a dad and loving the life that I get to create every single day. And with that, I will talk to you guys again on Friday. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.